0: chapter 19 of the gentle art of faking by ricardo Nobili. the sleepervox recording is in the public domain recording by jordan watts oxfordshire part 3 the faked article chapter 19 the makeup of faked antiques paintings drawings etchings etc how the art of faking necessarily borrows techniques and experience from the restorer Old and modern ways of imitating the technique of painting. New pictures on old canvases and old paintings repainted and doctored. Suggestions for imitating the preparation of panel or canvas. Imitating characteristic paintings in impasto. Veiling and varnishing. Imitating the cracking of varnish. Old drawings. Technique of the proper abuse to give an appearance of age to drawings etchings, fresh margins to old prints, etc. Opinions as to the restoration of objects of art are of a most varied character, more especially in the case of painting, an art of rather complex technique. The various opinions about the restoration of paintings may, however, be classified into three distinct categories one might be said to be entirely in favour of the process one entirely discountenancing it and between them one which is permissible as it has to do only with mechanical methods calculated to reinforce pigment or the canvas or panel and is not concerned with what might be called the artistic side of the art such as retouching or filling in the missing parts of a painting speaking of certain restorations of his time even vasari remarks in the life of Luca signorelli that it would be far better for a masterpiece to remain ruined by time than to have it ruined by retouching by an inferior hand Baldinucci tells us how guido reni objected to the retouching of old paintings more especially the work of good masters and that he invariably refused to do it himself no matter how much a client was disposed to offer for the work milizia the architect and writer says that to retouch an old painting particularly a fine work of art is to pave the way for future and wider destruction as in the course of time the retouching will show itself and then another act of barbarity will have to be perpetrated according to the opinion of a well-known florentine antiquary and famous restorer of paintings for the american market a picture has nothing to gain from the hand of the restorer on the contrary his opinion is that as soon as a restorer lay hands on a painting he ruins it the class we have placed between the two extremes, the one using a certain discrimination, accepting such methods as are intended merely to preserve the work without encroaching upon its artistic merits, such as furnishing a fresh panel or canvas to a painting, removing old and deteriorated varnish, etc., being the wise one is, of course, represented by the minority." Needless to say, the main forces of the class supporting Restoration in its extreme form are drawn from the ranks of restorers or authors of works teaching the grand art of resuscitating masterpieces, such men as Merimee, Vernon, Prang, Déon, Forni, and Secosuado. The latter, in fact, does not hesitate to call Restoration a magic art, and depicts the Restorer as a regular miracle worker we do not propose in this chapter to follow the various methods of restoring paintings according to the character of the work fresco tempera or oil but simply to indicate some of the restoration processes that are useful to fakers in deceiving inexperienced collectors in the case of faking up an old painting of weak or defective character into the delusive suggestion of a work of good quality the process consists principally of bringing the form into proper shape by veiling and toning the crude parts of the colouring this work the success of which chiefly depends upon the skill and versatility of the forger is generally effected by first removing the old varnish with a solvent there are many kinds of solvents which can be used according to the quality of the varnish the most common however is alcohol it must be very pure containing the minimum of water ordinary alcohol is likely to produce opaque white patches a phenomenon called by the french restorer and very difficult to obliterate once it has appeared being one of the strongest solvents and of dangerous and too rapid action at times the alcohol is generally mixed with turpentine in the proportion of half and half to start with then according to the greater or lesser solubility of the varnish the proportion of alcohol is gradually increased this mixture, called lamista by Italian antiquaries, may be substituted, as we have said, by various solvents, potash, soda, ammonia, etc, according to the nature or hardness of the varnish to be dissolved. Some restorers also resort to mechanical methods to remove old varnish. These methods, too, are various. If the varnish is hard, it can be cracked by pressure from the thumb, a long operation requiring no small amount of patience and skill. If it possesses sufficient elasticity to withstand this process, it is generally removed with a steel blade in the form of an eraser. The latter operation is not only very difficult, but very slow, particularly when the painting possesses artistic qualities that must not be impaired by the removal of the varnish. This first operation successfully accomplished, the artist steps in and proceeds to help the work, say, of such and such a school, to resemble the painting of the master of this school as much as possible. The process is naturally executed by the aid of a more or less complete collection of photographs of the work of the master the faker intends to imitate. The retouching may follow the most varied methods. To take the most common case, that of oil painting, the new work can be carried out with oil colours previously kept on blotting paper to drain off the oil which is then substituted with turpentine to give the colours their lost fluidity. It may also be affected with tempera colours, or with colours the fluid element of which consists only of varnish. The use of tempera is preferred by restorers because, although it presents the extreme difficulty of changing hue in varnish, and consequently demands no little experience to judge the requisite hue or tone, still, once laid down, it is not likely to change with time as oil retouching on old paintings generally does. The mixing of colour with varnish alone has the advantage of keeping the proper tone from beginning to end. This method is extremely useful not only in the painting of missing parts, but also to veil and tone what has been painted in tempera, if this is not entirely harmonious with the rest after varnishing. Needless to add, those colours, the fluid part of which is supplied by varnish, are unalterable, as they do not contain any oil whatever. One of the difficulties in handling these pigments is the lack of fluidity, hence turpentine may be added with advantage however as the above methods of retouching are not proof against chemical tests alcohol being the proper solvent with which to do away with added touches to old paintings which have been done with either oil or varnish colours the shrewder fakers either mix amber varnish with the colours or give the fresh touches a solid coating of this varnish which when well prepared is supposed to be insoluble and not easily acted upon by solvents although more than one special work on the art of restoring gives recipes for the preparation of this varnish in practice very few know how to prepare it in the proper way we have here presupposed that the picture was in good order that there were no missing parts of importance or rather that with panel or canvas unimpaired the work only required to be retouched by the artist a rare case as when the paint has vanished the preparation of the panel or canvas has generally vanished with it on account of its adhesiveness we do not propose to give the various recipes for the plaster dressing forming the preparation of the panel or canvas they are different according to time and country, and can be found in special works on painting. Under ordinary conditions it is very easy to substitute the missing preparation, just as it is easy to give it the proper surface either by pumice or skilled coating with the brush, but in the case of a painting on canvas it is very seldom that there are not big holes right through it. The first operation, in such cases, is to re-canvas the work, to line it, namely, with another canvas, which is pasted to the old one, and flattened with an iron till perfectly dry. The missing part must then be filled in, imitating the weave of the canvas on which the work is painted. No easy matter this, as the different weaves of canvases are as characteristic as signatures, no two are ever alike the new canvas showing through the hole is therefore either covered with a patch of canvas taken from some corner of the painting to be restored or it is given the same appearance by pressing a piece of the old canvas upon the fresh preparation of the part missing thus moulding the texture of the threads this must be done skilfully in such a way that the parallel lines of the threads match there are some clever fakers who imitate the old canvas by strokes of a hard brush upon the fresh preparation of the new pieces, reproducing the characteristics of the canvas by actually copying from the original parts. When a painting is finished, there are various methods by which an appearance of age may be given or restored to it. From asphalt to licorice, hundreds of things are used, either dissolved in turpentine or water, glue, albumen, etc. Veiling with varnish, coloured with the proper pigment, generally gives the finishing touch. The imitation of old and cracked varnish is simple enough. First one must give the canvas a coat of diluted glue, then varnish before the glue is quite dry. As the underlayer of glue dries quickly and has a shrinking capacity disproportionate to that of the varnish, it is easy to understand that the result will be a cracking of the varnish. A closer or coarse network of cracks is obtained by increasing or decreasing the inequality of shrinkage between the two layers, or by hastening or retarding the drying of the upper layer by artificial means. Although comparatively easy, these operations nevertheless demand no little experience to be crowned with due success. If a painting has been repainted only in the parts that were missing, and the old varnish has not been removed from the rest of the picture, it is a question of not only giving the varnish of the new spots cracks like the old varnish, but these must imitate as closely as possible those of the original part of the painting. In such cases a needle is used to make the cracks on the newly varnished parts. When the grooves have been made in the varnish they are filled in with water and colour or soot to give them the desired appearance of age. Such, roughly, is the method mostly in use for oil paintings. With the necessary variations and the use of the proper medium, the same method also answers for tempera. It is rare that frescoes are imitated or retouched, but in such cases fresh cheese is used as the vehicle for the colour, and when dry it not only acquires the quality of insolubility, but also the opaque hue of the fresco. As far as technique is concerned, the imitator does not find it easy to imitate the work of those artists who paint in impasto, that is to say, with a thick layer of pigment, the consequent characteristic strokes of the brush requiring no little experience for reproduction in all their force, character and characteristics. Through long study and practice, some finally succeeded in imitating the works of such painters as Rembrandt or Franz Hals, but such cases are extremely rare. Forney, who has written a work on the restoration of paintings, suggests a method of imitating impasto painting with its characteristic brushstrokes, which, in our view, can only be applied in the case of repairing a part missing in some old painting. Forney's method consists of first reproducing the peculiarities of the brushstroke in a plaster composition, closely resembling that of the preparation of the canvas, and then giving the proper colouring, according to forney this method has the advantage of giving the impression of a frank and vigorous style of painting such as is usual with the impasto technique yet it has been achieved slowly and patiently one of the side businesses of picture faking is the providing of suitable signatures when one considers that paintings generally bear the artist's signature more especially in recent times it would be strange if this branch of the shady trade did not number specialists who can imitate signatures to perfection as well as reproduce artists special monograms it is easy to understand how old drawings and sketches may be imitated just as in the case of faking a painting the artist tries first to become familiar with the work he wishes to imitate it is then usually executed on old paper and when finished, soaked in dirty water, dried and scoured with pumice, to give it the apparent abuse of age. Some imitators, however, do not give themselves the trouble to find the proper paper, and it is not unusual to see imitations on modern paper, or would-be 16th century, work on paper bearing the mill mark of two or three centuries later. But these, of course, are the gross imitations only intended to dupe the most naive of beginners. Prints are also imitated, and nowadays to perfection with the help of mechanical aids, when they have to reproduce an excellent original. The aging process is the same as that used for drawings. There is one difference between them to be noted. It is that in the case of old prints or etchings, the presence or absence of the margin counts for much. An etching with its original paper margin is far more valuable than one that has been cut to fit a frame or for any other purpose. Hence one particular branch of faking of prints is to refurnish paper margins to those specimens that have lost them. The work is more or less successful according to the skill of the faker, but is usually effected in the following manner. The etching is cut all round the edge, reasonably near the printed part. Then a large piece of old paper is cut to fit the etching as a frame, and the two edges are brought and held together for some time by a paper lining at the back. The crack of the join between the old etching and the new margin is filled in with paste of the same composition as the paper and smoothed even by a mechanical process it is of course needless to add that such a method is not likely to take in a true collector but the faker knows that foolish clients are sometimes numerous and his best supporters manitial work is easy to imitate not only on account of its technique in which originality has a comparatively small role to play but because it needs hardly any patina or ageing. Pastels and watercolours, more especially the latter, appear to be a little out of the forger's line, yet pastel, with its peculiar technique, affords possibilities for faking. Copies of noted originals have not escaped the speculative spirit of the counterfeiter. They are generally sold as contemporary copies or antique copies, and they seem to command higher prices, even if an old copy is at times far inferior to a modern one in the faking of modern or semi-modern art the technique intended to confer age and venerability to the work finds no place in such cases it is easy to understand the main craft lies in imitating the style of the master counterfeited Speaking of such imitations, we may note that fakers contemporary with the artist are perhaps the most dangerous to the neophyte, as imitations have always existed, more or less, and are by no means only the product of greed of modern fakers and dealers. A collector is often taken in by a false Corot or a false Rousseau, in which the only legitimate thing is perhaps the date, the forgery having been perpetrated during the master's timeline. Naturally, the imitation is not always made for the purpose of cheating, but almost always with the hope of becoming as popular as a certain master by imitating his style. It is very often the work of pupils, as in the case of the Watteau imitations by Lancre and Pater. It is known that the work of Paul Potter has been imitated by Klump, that Jacob van Houssem has been counterfeited by the works of Bruegel and Wauermans that Constantine Netcher made plenty of money copying Van Dyck Charles the First portraits, and that Tenier the younger sold false Titians. To go back to prints and etchings before closing this chapter, one must make a distinction between old imitations and modern ones. A good connoisseur is never at a loss to detect signs of counterfeit, but there is an essential difference of criterion needed in judging old imitations of etchings and modern imitations in old prints involuntary discrepancies are sure to occur as they have been reproduced by hand and the connoisseur must therefore be acquainted with them these variations are more or less known to experts whereas in the case of a modern purely mechanical reproduction a magnifying glass and technical experience are the chief requirements marco dente's reproduction of Marcantonio's antonio's work and the copies of callot's etchings by some of his pupils are examples of the imperfections of old imitations details having been omitted End of chapter nineteen